17 seconds from game seven or from championship number six. Jordan, open, Chicago with the lead. Timeout, Utah, 5.2 seconds left. Michael Jordan running on fumes with 45 points. Hello and welcome to the Dorm Room Dispute Podcast. The last dance has come and gone, but uh, it was a wild ride for five weeks there, and we were blessed with uh, Jason Ayer and everyone that worked on that documentary, storytelling, ability, uh, and Michael Jordan releasing all of that footage uh, that gave us a lot of content to talk about over these past couple weeks, and um no, I speak for a lot of people. It gave us something to look forward to on Sundays. Um, and this Sunday lived up to the hype, uh, I, I think. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, by the way, I'm Mitchell Kaminsky, and this is Marshall Michael, so <laughs> you should know that by now uh, if you've been listening. But, yeah, let's jump. You're a loyalist of fans. <laughs> That's right. Let's jump right into it. Um, I think the big question from, the, from this documentary was, could the Bulls have won a seventh title? Um, I want to get to some other stuff first, but that's going to be something we're going to get into uh, in a second because I think it's very interesting. But the best part of both of those episodes for me was the uh, Steve Kerr segment. Um, and you knew you knew at the end, I, I was finding it interesting because they started the documentary in episode one, ending with the 97 season. So I was wondering how they were going to incorporate that finals uh, with the 98 finals they were in currently. And I knew near the end of the playoffs, it was going to be a very basketball-heavy last two episodes. So it was nice to kind of get a balance of uh, some of his role of players and some other storytelling elements. Uh, and the Steve Kerr thing, I, I didn't know uh, that background that uh, went into it. And it really made me appreciate yeah. it a lot more. Even like him being like, John Paxton's my guy, modeled my game after him. Uh, on how they were teammates for that one year in 1994. He was working with him, and then obviously everything going on with his father. And man, when he hit that shot, uh, it, it had me. It had me very emotional. Uh, they and he knew he was going to hit the shot too, just like knowing history. And it still, it was a, it was a great moment. That was one of my favorite moments uh, from the series. A lot of people have been asking me about the shot the other night. Michael in traffic to Kerr. And there have been some misconceptions about what actually happened. I wanted to clear it up. When we called timeout with 25 seconds to go, we, we went into the huddle. He comes off, I'll be ready. And Phil told Michael, he said, Michael, I want you to take the last shot. And Michael said, you know, Phil, I don't feel real comfortable in these situations. So maybe we ought to go in another direction. Why don't we go to Steve? So I thought to myself, well, I guess I got to bail Michael out again. <laughs> Here's Jordan. Did not have the shot. The shot went in, and that's my story, and, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I definitely agree. And I knew, I knew Steve Kerr, dad, his dad was murdered. I knew, I knew that. I did not know the backstory. That was, that was simply, I, that was a wild backstory that uh, his father is linked to uh, Beirut um, and that college and whatever um, 
Yeah, I know. And I think Steve Kerr is one of those guys. Because, like, you know, as a, as a as basketball supporters, um, unless you're, like, a fan of, like, a, a strong fan of a team where you're, like, you know, Cristiano Felicio, we, we know his name, you know. Because mm. it's, like, a joke or whatever. But, I mean, he's talking about, like, you only get five shots a game. And, I mean, we're talking, I mean, in the, in the Indiana Pacers game, they're talking about, like, just a tip ball shifted the whole momentum of a game with six minutes left. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about, I got five shots, and you got you got to take five shots in the playoffs. I mean, that, that's, that's huge. Uh, just to, you know, have that mindset that, like, every time you shoot, it's got to be a big one. Because when you're putting up, you know, the Scotty Pippen, Michael Jordan shots, you kind of, like, each one doesn't have a direct impact, you know, because he's taking you know, 30 shots a game, whatever. When you get five, and you're just that role player, I, I, I can't imagine the, the stress it would put on me if I go, like, one for five or, like, two for four or something like that. Right, and the pressure that you have, first, just being one of Michael Jordan's teammates and how hard you have to work to earn that trust. And like you said, he's not getting many shots in these games, but he hit some huge shots for that team. In that Game 7, he hit a really big three-pointer. Obviously, in 97, in Game uh, 6, he hit the game-winning shot there as well. And this is a guy, if you look at it, he really didn't do a whole lot of scoring. Like During those finals, if you look at the box score, he's averaging like five points a game. He has one with like eight, seven. Like He's not getting a whole lot of scoring, but he scored when it counted, and that was really cool to see. Um, and it was also with his family, too. You could tell it was a really scholarly background, and uh, he, they were really smart. I think um, it speaks volumes, and it tells me a lot about uh, him right now because when you listen to Steve Kerr, he's very well-spoken. Um, when he talks, people listen because it's usually something smart or and or funny, and I think uh, you know, he kind of got a glimpse of why with his background and how smart his parents were uh, and the strong upbringing he had. So that was really cool to see. Um the other big one at the end of the episode was obviously the kind of a little bit of controversy. And I think it was the perfect ending because you have the great shot uh, by Michael Jordan. And then, uh, you know, so it's a fairy tale ending in that sense. But then there's a little bit of controversy. Could they win um, that title the next year? So uh, I want to hear your thoughts first. Uh, do you think they could have won a uh, seventh title if they, if they came back? Um, I don't think so, to be quite honest with you. And I think I agree with Jerry Reisendorf. Um, uh, or no, it, it was Phil Jackson. Because Phil Jackson had the opportunity to come back. Um, and knowing him, you know, he, he's always up for a challenge. But I think when he said that, like, uh, Krauss had already made all these comments, um, where, I don't know, I, I um... I, I, I equate it to uh, when you're playing pickup basketball, right? And you've been there. I mean, you and I, we, we bought, we've been at market for like two hours, three hours. You're playing games to 15, right? And you're getting tired. You're getting gas. And, but you just want to play because you just, you just, you just want to be there playing basketball with your friends. And you just one more, one more, one more. There gets to a point where when you, when you, when you say, hey, this is the last one, you kind of have that momentum. Uh, and you kind of have, like, that closure. I think they, these guys all knew that, like, going into it, there's the back of their mind that, you know, this is going to be, our, like, our last dance. That's all the, the whole documentary is about. And so, like, we got to win it because it's our last one. And that kind of gave them the extra willpower and the extra drive. Because, I mean, we talk, you, you saw the Pacers. Reggie Miller was like, I think we're the, the more talented team. Um, 
And, uh, yeah, so I think that gave them the extra, like, willpower edge, and you could just see how tired they were. Um, now, was it stupid to blow up the whole thing? That's another question, because when it's seen, you know, release, trade, trade, you know, Michael Jordan's gone, Phil Jackson's gone, I think they didn't, I don't know if they still had to blow it up, but I don't think they would have won it again. But then again, it's Michael Jordan, so you never know. This was, it had me thinking a lot. Um, and the first thing was, like, especially because Michael Jordan doesn't do a whole lot of these interviews. So when he talks, people are like, you know, you want to hear what he has to say. He, um, and this is, and I, generally, I, I believe in most of the stuff he does say. This is one of the few times, because you saw throughout the documentary, how competitive this guy was throughout it. And I'm convinced that he thinks he could still go out on the court today and beat half the roster he has on Charlotte. So, of course, he's going to say that, yeah, you know what, we we could have won another one. I was at the in my prime. So it's definitely a possibility when you have the best player in the league like that. Um, but it's, it's tough because they look so tired, like you said. There was a, it was an older team, and each year you win, it gets harder and harder and harder. And you kind of saw that with the Warriors that last year when they lost to the Raptors. Um, yeah. That like how how much of a toll it takes because you you have all those miles on you. Um, exactly. Now it was a shortened season uh, in 1999, and the team that ended up making the finals that year was the New York Knicks, who came in as an eight seed. So. I think the Bulls with Michael Jordan, there's a good chance. That, you know what? Maybe they could make it back to the finals. I think they could have been better than the Knicks. But do they beat that San Antonio team? Probably not. And Jerry Krause was kind of the villain this whole series. And, you know, rightfully so because he kind of, egos got in the way. But I think Scottie Pippen made a good point at the end. He's like, and I gave him a lot of credit for this because obviously they've had their problems. Where he said he's one of the best general managers in history. And I read an interesting article. This is from NBC Sports Chicago, and it's uh, Jerry Krause in his own words and an excerpt of his unfinished and unpublished uh, memoir. But he was saying, during the championship run, this is his words here, during the championship run in 1998, cracks in the foundation of the teams we we built began to alarmingly show up at inopportune times. To the adoring public, the age was showing on Dennis Rodman, the lack of movement by Luke Longley, the slowdown in efficiency after playing over 100 games per year and two of the previous three seasons was not apparent. The lack of recovery time in the summer were beaten up legs, uh, could have had enough time and strength Al Vermeer's summer program to gain the strength they'd lost in playing far longer than any other team in the league never struck the fans or the media. The fact that winning titles meant drafting last each year and what we were at the time was poor draft crops meant nothing. We got lucky in 1990, and most people in the NBA did not think Tony Kukoc would ever come around, and he'd fall in early in the second round. But the fans of media, we had Michael Jordan and could overcome anything. Um, so, I mean, he makes a good that's point. Actually, yeah, that's a, that's a great point with the draft pick, though. I honestly didn't even think of that. Because, I mean, you talk about, and it's different in a lot of other sports, when you talk about the NFL, you know, the 32nd pick yeah. can still give you something. Basketball is really not the same. You're you're winning like that, and you're getting the last pick. It's it's usually someone who's not going to pan out too hot for you, right? And I think when you look at it too, you would have needed. I think Phil had made up his mind. Like I'm done here. I don't want to be in a rebuilding yeah. team. 
I kind of want to move on. You know, it's 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 my time. I wanted to take a year off in Montana. It also didn't help, and Reinsdorf didn't make it easy on that team in the 98 season. I think he made it a lot harder for him than it had to be by adding that extra adversity, by you know fighting with Scottie Pippen and saying that Phil's not going to return. So it's bringing all this extra media attention and uh, adversity that they had to overcome. But he goes on to say in this thing, and I'm, I'll paraphrase here to make it shorter, but he's like, uh, looking at him in their, their meetings, he's like, how much can we get out of Luke Longry? And he's going to be a free agent, and we've had to periodically rest him for the couple of years. Uh, Al and the doctor said he would break down quickly. And then the next question was Rodman. Each person in the room was concerned that Dennis's off-court misdemeanors had caught up to him. He was playing on fumes by the end of the season. So they have no center, no power forward, very little cap space to sign anyone of quality to replace him, and who defends the middle if Jordan and Pippen do come back? And then Pippen... He had two major surgeries in the two years. One of them was uh, late in the summer to defy their instructions, so he missed a bunch of regular season time. He wanted to get paid a boatload of money, which I don't know they would have been able to afford him, so I think it would have been tough. Now, if you have Michael Jordan on that team and he comes back, maybe they make a run to the finals. I just think it may it kind of makes sense when you look at it uh, that they blew up that roster. And you want to leave the party a year early, I think, than a year late. Because Bill Belichick, Absolutely. look at him. Most successful coach in NFL history. He's made a living off of cutting guys a year early. Um, and I think yeah. it ultimately helped Michael Jordan's legacy because I guess now when you lose in the finals, it's worse than getting knocked out in the first or second round. So um, it was probably yeah, for the no, best that they got I, knocked out a year early. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think you see this a lot because the careers are longer in soccer. But you see it so much. Well, like... I mean, you got these guys who are fantastic. They're 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 amazing. They win championships, et cetera, et cetera. And then the, I mean, the one thing is, you want to keep playing because you love the game. You also want to keep cashing checks, mm-hmm. and so they just keep playing and they keep doing it. And I think a really good example is Gianluigi Buffon, who's like a legend, the, the keeper for Juventus, and he is he's one of the best goalkeepers to ever do it, and yet. He's still playing, and he's really old, and he's just not good anymore. He's made big mistakes in big games just because he's trying to keep running back. And it's like, dude, like we all remember. It's hard to remember a great player when the last thing you saw of them was like this forty-year-old dude who's just making mistakes due to age. I mean, you never, you you always want to leave, like you said, get get out of there on on a ring. And that's why, I mean, we watched the whole documentary. They're not talking about the Washington Wizards. It's frankly never should have happened. He should have left with the Bulls, and he made his decisions because, you know, the Wizards wanted to play when he was in ownership, et cetera, et cetera, but that's not something you want to remember out of a great, you know? Right. If you look at the Celtics dynasty in the 80s, like, that, they broke down on the court with Larry Bird and his back problems and Kevin McHale with his mm-hmm. bum foot, so, like, you don't really want that. Now, to play devil's advocate here, if I'm in Michael Jordan, the ultimate competitor, when he came to the Bulls, they weren't very good, and they weren't worth a whole lot as a franchise. You won all these titles. You've done a lot for the city. You've made Jerry Reinsdorf a ton of money. In his mind, I could see, like, hey, look, we've earned the right. And he said this, like, after the 97 season when these questions were coming up. We've earned the right to defend with ours until they take it. So I can see the frustration from his perspective. Kraus, you know, he, he's willing to put someone in front of his actual kids who have given him everything that we could give him. But um, and I think Jerry Kraus, you know, the failure from him was not to rebuild the team after they left, not not breaking them up. And, you know, obviously he had his ego problems and he wasn't the nicest guy. And, you know, he, he does he was kind of a villain in this series. But, uh, like I said, it was 
Um, it was more of a failure to rebuild than breaking him up. It was just the way he went about it was not how most decent people, like some of the petty stuff he did with Phil Jackson, like bringing Tim Floyd in and not inviting Phil Jackson to his son's wedding, but inviting the rest yeah. of the coaching staff, like, you know, stuff like that saying he won't come back or reading Sam Smith's book to him, um, and you know, in his office, just stupid ego stuff. And I actually heard a great quote. It was Jerry. He got not nearly enough, uh, credit that he deserved, but he didn't deserve nearly half of what he asked for. And I, I think that like summed it up uh, perfectly yeah. when you're looking at him. Uh, moving on, uh, moving on in, in this episode, some of the other interesting nuggets. Um, the uh, we'll go to the flu game, and I think these Utah fans uh, or another big series because it, it, you know they Russell Westbrook might be onto something. We'll put it that way. Oh, He's had his problems with them so. and. Uh, they were, it's a tough building to play. And, you know, you heard his uh, kids saying that, like, yeah, we didn't even, they didn't even let us go to the games over there because, and I think that would had some racial undertones in it. And if you look at that crowd, it's a whole lot of white people there. So I could see where it'd be a tough place to play for him. Do you believe the, uh, the, the pizza was poisoned, uh, by them? I, see, the, I don't know. I think it'd be really interesting and funny if it was. Um, but I think the whole flu game uh, uh, part of the documentary gave me gave me two things. First of all, I can't imagine the scenario. Like, like did they did they did they call the phone and said yes? This is Michael Jordan. I would like a pizza. I play for the Chicago Bulls. I'm actually playing in the finals against the Utah Jazz. Like, how did? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. That, that just seemed really funny to me. It's a it's yeah. an Atlantic note, but like, I don't know how these people do that. It was there delivering Michael Jordan's pizza. Also, I found it extremely funny that uh, Brian Jones or whoever just talked all this trash. And when Michael Jordan's about a keel over and pass out, he drops, what, 30-some, 40-some on you? Um, yeah. I thought that was funny. Uh, he, I mean, Byron Russell, the right? of breaks, Mr. Uh, or was it Brian Russell? Russell, Brian yeah. Russell. Russell, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of Byron Jones, the guy who plays in the Cowboys. Well, the, Anyways. the goal of him to trash talk him in the first place when he came back to say, I don't when they were practicing, he was telling the story, and he came up there, he's like, oh, why'd you retire? You know I could guard you when he was playing baseball. It's like, yeah. oh, geez. And then Michael goes like, yeah, he was on the list afterwards. It's like, yeah. such a great line. Um, but yeah, no, that, that, was, that was absolutely hilarious. I, I don't know if it was poison. I think, I think, when he said when he said five people came to deliver the pizza, that's where it's like, wait, wait a second. Um, Here's what I think, yeah. and I, there's a lot of layers to this story. Now, the first one I had to unpack was like, it was uh, if there's a pizza in the hotel room, how is nobody else? eating this pizza because we've been in a hotel room with a pizza everyone you know you're gonna take a bite of said pizza so apparently this was the story uh that i heard from the director who was on the jalen and jacoby after show afterwards so earlier that night those guys all ate dinner and didn't wait for michael when they ordered so it gets to be about 10 11 o'clock and michael is starving and says i want a pizza or get me something and we're talking about Salt Lake. They're actually way on the outskirts of Salt Lake. And that's that's another layer to this story is that they weren't staying in downtown where things would be readily available. There was no room service in the hotel. So they call out. When the pizza shows up 
Michael says, everybody, do not touch this pizza. This is mine. You didn't wait for me. Don't touch this. So he spits on the pizza. What? <laughs> and apparently that's something yeah. he did a lot where he'd spit on his food so no one else would want to like a child. So that's why he downed the whole pizza himself. So I'm like, okay. That kind of makes sense. You know, in Utah, it's been, it's probably a little different now, but, you know, they, they, most of the stuff closed at like 6 o'clock. There's not a big nightlife in Salt Lake at the time. So I can believe that there was not a whole lot of places open. So Michael's hungry, they're looking around, they find a pizza. And apparently they're in a small town right outside, like the, uh, the city. So my guess would be that the doorman or whatever, the, they're like, hey, you know, I think that's Michael Jordan's room because everyone knows everyone in these small towns, so they have, like, five people showing up to try and see him. Now, as far as yeah. them eating, I don't know, though. That's that's why there's five people that showed up. Like, you made a good point. Like, they're not going to say, hey, it's Michael Jordan here. Like, uh, you know, they had to have some sort of alias or something, so the five people thing was strange. Another theory was, like, it was a hangover, not actually the flu. I don't believe yeah, that for a I second. Because, yeah. one, you don't react like that when you have a hangover. Like, the, the, the symptoms there where you're keeling over and, you know, food poisoning is rough. Um, yeah. I definitely believe it. His mom said so. And the story is so bizarre that I feel like in 23 years they would have come up with a better story if it was fake. But the fact they're sticking with it, I... I I believe it. Uh, it's interesting, but yeah, that's that's what they that's what they said. All this confidence, so that's what yeah. we're sticking with. But that performance in general, is so so impressive. Yeah. You know, you see a lot of guys that probably wouldn't even play, and he's like, "Hey, maybe I'll be a decoy," and he's going out there putting the game in his hands. And the Bulls, like offensively, they weren't getting a whole lot of offensive help from a lot of these guys. Uh, yeah, especially during the playoffs, they didn't score over a hundred points in that finals. Um, so they or in 98 i guess they didn't score over 100 but still you know the fact that he did 97 he took it upon himself to do all that was that that was that was uh yeah that was phenomenal um speaking of aliases since we're talking about that i got a fun we, we got some we got some trivia for you i found all right we i found another uh article oh shoot did i lose it oh here we go okay here we go here we go all right so Found an article, once again, by NBC Sports Chicago. And one of the players on the team dug up one of their old uh, hotel, like, get list or whatever. It was um, yeah. it was like a sheet for the road trip rooming list. And it has all their aliases on it. So I'm going to give you an alias. See if you can guess uh, what the player is. I'll give you, like, the main ones. The guy that came up with it was Rusty LaRue. So that could be an alias in itself, because it sounds like one. But that was an actual player. So we'll, we'll just give you the main ones. See if you can guess who it was. All right? You ready? All right. All right I'm ready. Austin Powers. Who on the Austin team was Powers. Austin Powers? Oh. Who's a fan? I am... I feel like Scotty Pippen doesn't have that sense of humor to, to enjoy those movies. Um, are we, are we, is it, was it, are any of these are like the ex obscure players on the team? No, these are all the mainstays. The guys you hear about in the uh, documentary or okay. starters or I the main like, guys. I feel like it, Austin Powers is kind of like a white people movie. So I'm going to go Steve Kerr. You are correct. It is uh, Steve go. Kerr. One for one. I just want to preface, I didn't know, I didn't know these questions. This no, this is completely off the cuff. I found this literally a couple minutes before we watched the shoot. All right. Uh, the, very good. One for one. Um, Peter Parker. Peter Parker. This is a tougher who's one. A who's a Spider-Man fan? Oh, I will give I'm you a hint here. Scotty Pippen. It was not Scotty Pippen. It was a starter on that team, but it was not Scotty Pippen. 
Was it um, the center? No. Uh, Ron Harper. Was it Ron Harper? It was Ron Harper. It was Peter Perkins. Because apparently his son was a big... Um, a big fan of Spider-Man. Spider-Man. So, yeah. All right, a couple more here. A couple more. We'll go... Oh, I like this one. All right. Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker. Is that, a, is that a character from a movie? It's a drink, I believe. From what? I think it's a drink. I think it's a type of drink. Oh. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, Dennis Rodman would have a drink-flavored drink-themed uh, name, but I feel like it'd be like Natty Light. Um, <laughs> or no, 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 no. Miller Light, I think it was. Um, I'll go Scotty Pippen. He's like a classy guy. It's like a classy drink. You are correct. That was Scotty Pippen. That's pretty impressive. All right, I got two more for you. All right, All right. we'll go Oscar Miles. Oscar Miles? Oscar Miles. I have no idea who that is. Uh, I'm going to go Michael Jordan. Wow, you are correct. Once I'm again, it dude. is Michael if Jordan. I, if I was working at a hotel... I've got it all figured out. <laughs> Alright, last one for you. Uh, Brooke Mason. Is that a girl? I'm not sure. Yes, you are correct. That is impressive, my friend. <laughs> Four for five. Very good. Some of them didn't even have aliases. Like, uh, Tony Kukoc was just Tony Kukoc on this list. Um, some, the other, guy. some of the other good ones. Luke Long, at least. Stagger Lee. So, Stagger so, Lee. That's so, yeah. good. Some very interesting names i am impressed my friend all right continuing with the last uh with the last dance that that pacers team i didn't realize how this is a quick nugget but i didn't realize how good like i knew they were a pretty good team with reggie miller but how talented that team was when you're looking at that roster 98 that was my first year coaching and it, it was our best opportunity i thought to win a championship we were confident that we can dethrone the bulls we felt like we were just as versatile. We had Rick Smith, the Duncan Dutchman, Mark Jackson, one of the greatest assist guys the league has seen. We have the Davis brothers, Chris Mullen, one of the sweet shooting players of all time, and Reggie Miller, our Hall of Famer. That series with Indiana was the hardest playoff series we had. They were big, they were strong, they were physical. If I had to pick a team that gave us the toughest time in the East. You know, Indiana was probably the toughest outside of Detroit. You know, Jalen Rose, Chris Mullen, who was on the Dream Team. Obviously, Reggie Miller, who was a Hall of Famer. Rick Smith, who was an all-star that year. That was stacked. Like, they yeah. might have been a deeper team. Larry Bird is the, the coach, too, yeah. Mm-hmm. His reaction, too, when uh, the shot came in, doesn't even change his expression. that shot. And, I mean, anyone else, I think, that you, that you would believe the game was over is just the fear factor that, like, Michael Jordan was in the building. And you kind of saw it when they're, like, they're all... And Michael was even like, yeah, that's cute. They were all holding their breath for a second. And the double-clutch three-pointer he chucked up that almost went in. So even, yeah. his, even his misses were had kind of a large scale were epic. Um, and then at the end, that the little scene there where he's greeting uh, Larry Bird in the tunnel. And uh, he had a few <laughs> choice words for him. Enjoy yourself, dog. You bitch, fuck you. Y'all, y'all gave us the run for our money. Yeah. All right, take care. Thank you. Work on that golf game of yours. And that's one of the other things. Like, not a whole lot of people could talk to Larry Bird like that. You know, he was one of the great trash talkers. Obviously, one of the most respected guys in the game. Michael comes up, he's like, "Hey, yeah, fuck you, you bitch." So. <laughs> 
Um, let's go. Right, I, I, have, I have a question for you. All right, let's hear it. I have a question for you. So let's say in this situation, you're you're a pretty good. Uh, you're like an all-star. You're not like a Reggie Miller Hall of Famer type player, but you're like an all-star. You're, you're pretty good, and you're a good defender. Um, and, and you're going up, up against Michael Jordan, and at some point, like you're a shooting guard or like a, or a guard in general, you have to guard Michael Jordan at some point, and you're good. You're an all-star this year. Would you talk trash to him at all? I feel like no, knowing what I know now, because like you just get him going. And, like, he gets that competitive, like, he'll find a way to, like, motivate himself, and you're just going to doom yourself. Like, you heard Magic when they are doing the Dream Team practices. He said the little comment. Up about eight points, I think it was, something like that. And I went over and tapped him. And I said, look, man, if you don't turn into Air Jordan, we're going to blow you out. Man, what did I say that for? And that's, like, all it took is, like, you know, he engaged, and then they ended up scoring, like, nine points in a row or whatever, and they ended up winning. So I probably wouldn't want to trigger him. That being said, I give Reggie Miller a ton of credit, um, you know, because he didn't back down to him either. He's like, yeah, you know. Especially when he was younger. He saw that little montage at the beginning. He's throwing elbows with him. He's pushing off of him. He's hitting big shots at him, and he's talking trash. Yeah. He's this skinny little kid. So a uh, ton of credit. I remember him walking off the court. He was like, don't ever talk trash to black Jesus. <laughs> and that's when I stopped referring to him as Michael Jordan. And I always refer to him either as Jordan, black Jesus, or that black cat. It's like, you know, Alan Iverson said the first time he played him that like Michael Jordan had this kind of like aura around him, like that Dave Chappelle bit with uh, they walk in. Uh, the when Charlie Murphy's telling the story about meeting um Rick James for the first time. It's like, you can see, it's like, wow, he's wearing the Jordans too. Where Reggie Miller wasn't, you know, not phased at all. He's like, yeah, I'm going after him. I, you know, we're taking him down this year. So I gave him a ton of respect. But no, to answer your question, I probably wouldn't yeah. talk trash. Which is, it, it's tough it's, though, because I do like talking trash. I feel like, I feel like after, uh, if, if I, if I beat him in a game, I would talk trash to him. And if he destroyed me the next game, so be it. But just, but like, you know, like we talk about the BJ Armstrong or something like that. I, I feel like, I don't know. It's so hard, though, because yeah, I feel like even if I didn't say anything to him, if I looked at him where he'd, he'd, he'd figure something. Well, and he even <laughs> said, too, out. addressing the BJ Armstrong thing in one of the earlier ones, it's like, yeah, you know what? It, it takes a, you know you're good when you can talk trash when you're down or the score is zero, 0 Anyone can talk trash when they're yeah. up. So, I mean, which is a good point. And which is actually another great scene. And this wasn't from the last team, but when he's in, you know, after losing that game to BJ Armstrong and the Charlotte, when he's in the locker room with the baseball bat, just like casually chilling as they're like talking about plotting, they're like downplay, you know, how they're going to, he's like, yeah, you know, I'm not worried. And how they're basically going to annihilate Charlotte the next game. It was such a cool scene. It's like watching a mob boss in there. Um, you know, so many great moments from this series. We'll go three takeaways each that we had from watching the series. I'll go with my first one first. Um, mine was, I, I was really impressed, and you can see why Michael was as good as he was because of the support system he had growing up and through the course, you know, all the great leadership he had. One, you have his mom and dad, who obviously his mom, I loved his mom, one of my favorite characters yeah. in the series, telling him to go to Nike or whatever. You saw how great his dad was. Uh, he was a nice guy and kind of drove him competitively. Yeah, obviously, you know, his brothers too. Um, then in college, you have one of the great coaches uh, coaching you. Uh, you got Dean Smith and Roy Williams. 
uh, as your yeah. assistant. So obviously you're getting coached really well in college, some of the elite college coaches. Then you go to the NBA and you eventually get um, Phil Jackson as your coach, and then you have David Stern as your commissioner. Um, so all the leadership he had, um, and as a kid, you know, that background he had from his family and coaches, you could see why he was as successful as he was and how he handled all that pressure and people coming up to him. I thought he handled everything really well. I think he answered all the questions. He was good with the media, um, throughout, uh, you know, when they showed those little snippets. Um, so I, that, that, that really stood out to me. Yeah. Yeah, my, 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 mine's kind of similar with the sports system. I think my first takeaway was, because we talk a lot about um, the 96 Bulls, and then obviously the team that broke the record, 2015, uh, 16 Warriors, I believe. Yeah. And I think while they had the record, I think that uh, people kind of generally assume that the, the Warriors with Kevin Durant are obviously better. Um, and while I think it'd be a very interesting... I, I would love to see that go that series happen, the 96 Bulls and the 17 Warriors, because I think the, the, the people, obviously they had the record, they won the championship in, in great fashion. But I think, like, I mean, talking about, like, you know, they're writing poems, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and burn them in the, in the trash can, and, like, just the things that this team went through, I think it would be very interesting, because the Warriors, they didn't have that chemistry, and I think it would be very interesting to see how the chemistry of the Bulls and these guys like Steve Kerr and Ron Harper um, kind of feeding into, like, they're just a unit, a team that plays very much together. They do have the superstars, but everyone's kind of on with the same mindset versus the 2017 Warriors, which is basically just talent. Yeah. Um, just five really talented starters and, like, a somewhat mediocre bench. Um I think that'd be a very interesting uh, yin yang if they ever play each other. I guess we'll never know. But. And uh, you know, it's another thing you got to give Kraus a lot of credit for because, like, all those guys fit what they were trying to do. They all had a really good purpose. You know, you had the rebounders yeah. and Rodman, or even Horace Grant before then um, mm-hmm. to compliment Michael. Because like, none of these guys really outside of Jordan and Pippen were really like star players. You know, none of them are carrying a franchise. Once you leave, it's a bunch of role guys that knew their role or like, a, you know, average starters that filled their job really well. So I, I think that is that is a good point. It would be interesting to see how that played out. Second takeaway from this uh, documentary, I learned a lot about the Scottie Pippen throughout this thing. And, you know, he was upset about the way he was portrayed. But I think he was portrayed pretty fairly throughout this thing. And, we, you know, we touched on this last week. But, um, you know, he could be a bit immature at times. Um, very talented player, and he was tough as hell. And that was really showcased in that, la- showcased in that last one. You know, and I think he kind of knew he wasn't going to be back. And he's still out there, you know, giving it his all in that sixth game, having back spasms and having to go to the locker room. And he's basically just a decoy out there moving like a stick man. Um, and he was giving it all. He said even in the huddle, he's like, hey, I'll take, that, I'll take a charge at the end here. They drive the net. Yeah. So that was very impressive to me. And that was my second big takeaway. I learned a ton uh, about Scottie Pippen in this documentary. Yeah. Yeah, mine, mine, mine is similar to that um, about a player. I think our second takeaway is that we will never, there has never, and there will never be any player that is comparable to Dennis Rodman in sports. I don't care soccer, baseball, football. I mean, this dude, I mean, I would say he's like a movie character, but for a movie character, they have to make sense. This dude makes, I mean, he's crazy. 
when he, when he's, when he's off the clock, he's truly off the clock. Knock on the door. It's Michael Jordan. And I hid. I, 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 I didn't, I didn't want him to see me like that, so I like, I'm just like hiding behind the couch with covers over me. Come on, you, we gotta get to practice. Um, and just does whatever we want. I mean, I guess to think like, it, when, when a dude left a practice in the finals, and I mean, you're talking, Phil Jackson, like, do you know where he is? He's like, I have no idea where he is. He's just not here, I can tell you that much. I mean, that was absolutely <laughs> insane. And they just come back, he shows up with his bong hat. And he just gets a bunch of boards, plays defense. I mean, I thought that was absolutely fascinating. And I mean, the dude, the dude went to freaking North Korea. And then, like, I don't know. He's just truly something, just a crazy human being. But he was really good at what he did on the court. And I thought that was absolutely fascinating. And it goes to say with your, like, your chemistry and how Phil managed all that thing. Like, I didn't even yeah. know about that story till watching this. That he had just gone off and left professional. He was wrestling with Hulk Hogan. During the finals, yeah. like today, that'd be, and you know, he's Phil Discretti. He's like, yeah, he's not here, and he, he sounded frustrated, but it's almost as if he was more frustrated with them asking him the question than he was that like yeah. Dennis actually did it. And then Dennis would show up at practice, and he saw this earlier in the year when their Michael was talking about them doing the Indian drill. He takes off in the front, and it takes him four laps to lap him. So he shows up. He does, you know, he, they knew they could count on him when he actually did show up, but he, he was such an entertainer off the court. And the other layer that makes it interesting with his personality is because he wasn't very close with many guys on that team, like he was with yeah. the Pistons. But by all accounts, he's a really quiet and shy guy. But like when he's in the public spotlight, he's like an entertainer. He puts on his persona, yeah. and he's doing all this wild stuff, and he's got the hair. And I agree, there's never going to be another guy like him in the NBA. And um, yeah. It was wild to see. And even that sequence, too, and the, this was really cool. And I was actually watching this 98 game uh, the day before this came out, it was on um, NBC, they were replaying it. And the sequence, and they showed it in the documentary too, where he's battling Malone the whole game. And Malone's obviously a lot bigger than he is. Um, and there's one time down the court where he's like, you know, they're kind of jostling for position, they get tripped up, and then he's shoving them down, and they're kind of wrestling throughout the court, and then he gets up and trips them, um, and they get all tangled up there, and it was like, it was like wow, this guy, you know he's tough well, going after him. It was such a great sequence. And then at the end, they're kind of like patting each other on the butt to like, you know, you have to sign a respect, have to get under the skin. And like uh, Malone gets the last one in and Robin like tooks back and he's like rubbing his ass and he makes like this face at him. It's like, it was so funny. It's like, <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah, it yeah. was, yeah, I totally agree. He's definitely, he's a character. And the third one, you know, and there's so many things because all, all the great sound bites. One of my favorite sound bites was Ron Harper who didn't have, you know, I think his only line in the whole thing was, like, talking about the shot Cle when he was playing for Cleveland. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, fuck this bullshit. And it was one of the great lines. And then all the Jordan one-liners. You know, there's so many things you can go with. But I'll go an unsung one. Um, Bill Cartwright, I didn't realize, you know, the leadership he, he kind of provided to that group. Uh, and you saw B.J. Armstrong talking about it a little bit. But, you know, that was one of the kind of the big trades they Jerry Krause had to make. Um was for Bill Carr, right, where he traded away one of Jordan's best friends uh, in Charles Oakley to New York. But without Bill Carr, right, that was kind of like the, the centerpiece of those teams where he was like, you know, they needed a center and he got the job done. And he was able to, you know, that kind of like turned the tide for him. And, uh, you know, after this whole Scottie Pippen incident where he's in the locker room talking and apparently his wife had never even seen him cry, you know, how he addressed that and the leadership he provided some of those other guys. So a lot of unsung heroes uh, throughout these um, 
these documentaries to showcase, and he was one that really stood out. When Pip refused to go in that game, it was like a Twilight Zone moment, like, what the hell is going on? Because Scotty's one of our favorite teammates, one of our favorite people in the world. He, he quit on us, and that we couldn't believe that happened. Bill Cartwright gets up and makes this speech saying, Pip, you let us down. I cannot believe. And he started crying. But, you know, uh, the, yeah, the, the, yeah. So, so many, so many great things. All right, your final takeaway. My final takeaway, and this is, I mean, this will probably kind of sound like a boomer take, to be totally honest with you, which may surprise a lot of uh, people who know me. Um, but I think one thing that's very interesting to see um, about, uh, and this is either good or bad, it's, I think it's just an objective thing that's changed in the NBA is I think there's just a lot of lack of like respect for other players in today's NBA that we really don't see, like you saw behind the scenes. Um, and obviously we're following around Michael Jordan, who's one of the most respected players. He's the most respected player the NBA's ever seen. But I mean, to see, you know, these guys like Larry Bird, uh, Charles, uh, uh, Charles Barkley before they had their kind of falling out. Mm. Um, uh, Patrick Ewing, Carl Malone, I mean, a lot of these guys who even, like, when they're going up against Michael Jordan in these bowls in the playing days, John Stockton is another one, where they had a lot of respect and they had, like, this reverence for Jordan, where I don't think we're ever going to see that. I, don't, I definitely don't think we see that in today's NBA. I think uh, especially with the, the, the role players on Jordan's team, like Steve Kerr and these guys kind of, like, you know, grinding to fit a system. I, I don't think... That is uh, as much of a factor in today's NBA. I think a lot of NBA players today are, I don't know the right word, but just kind of they they may think they're better than than um, what they produce at times. And I just think, uh, I think we see it with LeBron. I think we see it with, uh, with, with, you know, Giannis and these guys. And they can be friendly off the court, but when they're on the court, they're, they're taking shots at each other. They're being petty with each other. And I just think it's pretty interesting uh, dynamic that's changed in the last you know 20 30 years and we kind of touched on this like last week just like the rivalries they had were so yeah. much fiercer and i think that's why a lot of people think like oh the nba was better it's not necessarily like even the town level or like the skill but like i can see why people you know the rival there was fierce rivalries throughout but there's still that re- element of respect you saw like you saw Carl Malone come up on the bus afterwards and like, hey, congratulations, guys, whatever. So like, or today you you'd never see that. You know, there, there's yeah, a exactly. lot a lot more pettiness going on where everyone's trying to build their own brands. And the league was a lot younger then too, which was also a factor in it. And uh, I think you saw like because like scoring, you know, like today it's a lot like there's a lot more scoring in the league. Where back then, like near the end of the games, like you look at some of the scores of these games, like the last one was like eighty two. 80 so it's almost kind of like soccer near the end where like every basket like takes on like more meaning and is a lot bigger and i think that's why you saw like that game seven with the Cavs warriors was so great and why the block was so big because you saw like how scoring you know near the end there there was a whole lot of people scoring and so like that block when james makes the block it's like it takes on a whole new significance because there's a big point where like a lot of the games in the 90s were like that because you know scoring was at a premium so um I, yeah, I, I agree. There's a lot more respect, and the rivalries are better, and I can see why, you know, these boomers are like, oh, you know, back in my day, the NBA was better. Yeah, it's not even necessarily talent, but I can see why, you know, people like the game. 
more. Uh, the other factor is, too, you see a lot, and now this is undisputedly better back then. Like, college basketball is a lot better because the guys are staying four years and you know who they are. But with that, also, you're getting coached. So the fundamentals of, like, you know, they know you know how to play. The basketball IQ is a little higher with, like, knowing how to play defense. Or now you got guys who are, like, 19, you know, uber talented. Uh, you know, like, Zion's fa- fantastic player. I mean, you know, he'd be good in almost any. A lot of these guys would be great in any era or tear it up uh, back then. But, you know, the basketball IQ and maturity is not there. We see a lot of these guys are developed when they get into the league. So, uh, which was very interesting. All right. Moving on. And, you know, I... We hate doing this, but we also kind of love it, too. Um, oh, yeah. Throughout this series, you know, it, one of the big things is the MJ versus LeBron. And it's the debate that's going to go on throughout time. Um, and, you know, this was your idea for the segment, so you you, you can yeah. uh, you can introduce it to the people. Yeah, so it, I, I think it was, it was very interesting. You know, we've, we've danced around, and I think we talked about it a little bit um, last episode. Um, and I think it was interesting because it isn't just to see these shows who are unaffiliated with ESPN, you know, having this discussion. And I don't even know, I don't know if it was online or if it was a poll somewhere, but as soon as the documentary was over, there was, um, this voting poll, um, that, you know, better, uh, that just, that just compared the two. Who, who has better shooting, um, better defense, you know, better, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, they, 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 they went down to who has the better signature shoe. Um, who is the better look? Mm-hmm. Um, and as a quick side note, I thought it was very funny. I believe when the better passer was out there, Michael Jordan won fifty nine percent of the vote. Well, yeah, we'll think, yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah, when we go, yeah, yeah, and that's what I'm going to say. I don't care who you think is better. If you think Michael Jordan's a better passer than LeBron James, you don't watch basketball. Um, but I think, and and my my personal point of view and is differs than I believe I don't remember the name but it was the old agent of Michael Jordan who said if you if you're not blind and you watch this documentary and you don't think I know if you watch this documentary and you don't think Michael Jordan's the best of all time after watching it you're blind and I would counter that to say if you don't if if you watch LeBron James over his career play basketball and you can't admit that there's a discussion to be had I you're also blind and that's why I think we're gonna open it up for this 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 hopefully irrational discussion where if you had to pick each one and say they're the GOAT, the greatest to ever do it, if you for each one, what is your number one argument for them and the number one argument against them? Yeah, so we're going kind of kind of like what they did on this poll, but we're taking out some of the stupid stuff like signature shoe and look, because that's yeah. kinda of like dumb. And one of them was like, Who would you rather have a drink with? Which actually might be an interesting discussion to have, but, you know, I think Shoe's not even close. I mean, Air Jordan is kind of like, you know, he made Nike. And, like, better look is, it's not a beauty contest. That's kind of dumb. So we narrowed it down. Um, I believe we agreed upon, we'll go category by category here. Um, We had uh, scoring, passing, defense, teammate, who do you want taking the last shot, uh, clutch, uh, like, sort of, off-court impact, and team success overall. So, we will go. Because, you know, like you said, it is tough, like, era by era. And Michael Jordan, undisputedly, best player of his era. I think LeBron James, while you have some people that would dispute it, it's kind of, if you have eyes, undisputedly, the best player of this era. Um, And, you know, I might, full disclosure, you know, LeBron James is my favorite player. So no no bias here on any of these, as you can tell. (laughs) But um, without further ado, let's dive into it. Um, We'll go... First scoring, um, 
I'm giving the edge to Jordan here. Uh, yeah. Just because he's probably one of the best mid-range shooters like of all time. He's scored a ton of the mid-range. He can jump out of the gym. He can hit a three as he needed to. He's, you know, he averaged 30 a game for his career. So I have to give this one to Michael Jordan. Yeah, uh, I think I'd agree. Uh, and while I do think um, that some of his, uh, well, I don't think, and I know that the three-point line was shortened during a couple years of his career, which, you know, take that with what you will, or do with that what you will, I agree. And he's scoring, um, but I think it's very, I, I think while I do give it to Michael Jordan, because um, he's kind of like a scorer at will. I think LeBron is often discredited uh, with his scoring ability mm-hmm. when comparing the two. Because I think it is pretty close. LeBron's not that great. Not as good as of a three-point shooter when you go with the numbers, I believe. Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, going to the 10 is something that LeBron might have the the uh, the edge just because how big, strong, right. athletic is. Especially early um, in his career, he's kind of boring because he just bulldozed people and go in early. But the other problem here, and this is the other thing you have to factor in with scoring. And I'll mind you with all these categories, you know, they're both very, like, you know, they're excellent players. So I'm not taking away from any of them. But um, when you look at, uh, you have to take free throws into account. And Michael, Lebr- LeBron James, for a player of his caliber, has not been a great free throw shooter. And I think you've seen it at times, you know, near the end of games, He'll be a little hesitant to take it to the rack because he doesn't want to be on the free throw line taking like a clutch shot where Michael is a very good free throw shooter. So, yeah. you know, he's, you know, he has no problem going inside uh, where obviously LeBron at times is hesitant to do so. Um, not to say he can't like drive or whatever, but, uh, you know, I, that's why I think if you're going all around, you know, mid a little bit better shooter. They both can dunk phenomenally, obviously, but uh, I, I'd have to give it, yeah, like we said, I'd give it to Jordan um, for that. Uh, let's go and, you know, we, you previewed this earlier, passing, and this was easy for me. Um, yeah. It's, it's, LeBron's probably one of the, outside Magic Johnson, you know, top three passer of all time. Um, you yeah. know, maybe Larry Bird goes to that category too, but yeah, it's not, it's, that one is not even close. And not to say Michael couldn't be a good passer, it's just not really what he did. He had to trust his teammates to pass the ball, and I think if he wanted to be a great passer, he could. But that's just not what he wanted to do, and that's not what he did. Um, and LeBron is yeah. phenomenal at it and very creative at how he does it, and he gets all of his teammates involved. Not even close. I Would you, would you agree? Well, I mean, I know you Yeah, agree. no, I, I, I totally agree. I think that, that I think that's the, um, in the GOAT discussion, I think that's the big thing that gives LeBron a, a, a particular edge um, because I think the way he includes his teammates with the ability to score like he does is very unique. For LeBron James. All right, now it gets interesting here. Now we're getting to the categories that aren't so cut and dry. Defense. Now LeBron's an excellent defender, especially earlier in his career. He had the iconic block, which is kind of his signature moment, defensive play. However, in years past, uh, you know he kind of picks and chooses his spots when he wants to defend. You have instances of Kyle Kuzma having to push him out to the perimeter to guard a guy, and you'll see a lot of times where he need, he's needed so much on offense, especially with those Cavalier teams, that you know he's kind of resting on the defensive side. Um, Jordan, on the other hand, um, you have a guy that's won Defensive Player of the Year, and crunch time, he's guarding Reggie Miller. He constantly guarded the other team's best players. Uh, besides, you know, you can make the argument he's one of the best defenders on that team. 
uh, with Pippen. So I'd have to go with Michael Jordan. Or, uh, yeah, Michael Jordan on this one. Um, now, rebounding, I think LeBron's a better rebounder. If you're going to factor that into defense, I know that's kind of offensive too, but I'm giving I'm giving Jordan the edge just because he guards the best players throughout his career. You saw at the end of 98, he was doing so. He won Defensive Player of the Year a couple times. Um, so I'm going with Michael Jordan on that one. Yeah, and I think this one is, like you said, it's kind of trickier because I think one-on-one, I think it's like, you know, if you got, hey, I need I need you to stop this guy, and you just got Reggie Miller from scoring, and you just stop, you know, Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas from scoring or something like that. Although I don't, know, I don't know if he would be directly guarding Isaiah Thomas. Um, but in those kind of scenarios where you got to stop a guy, I think you, it's pretty easy to say Jordan because he's kind of like a one-on-one guy. But I think for a team, I think LeBron does a lot for his teams um, that Jordan never really had to do when it comes to offense and defense. Like, I mean, he played playing his career with Scottie Pippen, who's a phenomenal defender. He's also playing with Dennis Rodman, who's another phenomenal defender. Uh, and I think, you know, having all these perimeter uh, uh, guards that can, or not, but not, not, not guards, but perimeter players that can defend like that, I think is a massive help. I agree, though. I'm going Michael Jordan. Um, but I think, yeah, I think, I, I think with a lot of these, it could go either way. And I think Jordan and his, or uh, LeBron and his prime, uh, might be being discredited with, uh, cause I think a lot of people, a lot of people, especially for defense would quickly go to Michael Jordan, which is not incorrect. But I think it's a lot closer than people would. People forget LeBron James, especially early in his career, was doing chase down blocks on the regular. Which is yeah. he kind of refined his game. He needed to learn how to win championships. And in today's NBA, it's on the offense. He needed to score, you know, more than the other team. And especially when he had a lot of yeah. bad Cavalier teams, he needed to rest on the uh, defensive end. But yeah, that's why I'd give that one to Michael Jordan. All right, this was a really hard one for me. Teammate, who would you rather have as a teammate? And I went back and forth on this one a lot. Um, and I think it all kind of depends what you look for in a teammate because LeBron, obviously, and now, you know, there's been people that have come out of their experience with them, obviously, with not all smiles. Just look at Kyrie Irving, didn't like playing with them that much, particularly. But you had the instance where he bought all of his teammates' suits in the, uh, in the playoffs. Um, he's a little bit nicer. There's no instances of him punching a teammate in the face. <laughs> However, with Michael Jordan, you get an ultimate competitor that's going to push you every day in practice to get better. You're going to get a guy, you know, you know he's going to give it your all uh, the whole time. And we had instances with LeBron, you know, his last game in Cleveland in that finals where they were down 3-1. to one. He knew the series was lost, but they were only down by five at halftime, and he came out in the second half, and he kind of quit on his team or only put up three shots in the second half of that game four in uh, 2017, I believe it was. So that's kind of got a factor into it. This was a toss-up for me. Uh, I'm giving the slight... Slight edge to LeBron here, just but I mean it's tough because like you know Jordan's t- Jordan's teammates you know they said he was an asshole and all this sort of stuff so it depends what you're looking for I think if you want to win and you're like win at all cost um, you have to go you would probably go with Jordan but at the same time LeBron's carried these teams to the finals uh, by his by himself and you know I think he's a little bit uh, especially in today's day and age. A little bit nicer. However, you also have to factor in, and I'll let you go. I'm sorry, I'm taking up whole much time here. But you also have to factor in, like you know, poor Kevin. Especially, and this isn't really any fault of LeBron's, but when they lose, a lot of times you'll see people pointing the blame at 
um, the Kevin Loves of the world and is supporting cast, so you run the risk of being thrown on the bus. But I gave a slight edge to LeBron in this one. Um, but it was, yeah, this was very tough. Um, I'm going to go with LeBron. I think it's easy to say he's a good teammate um, after watching this documentary. Um, and I think, because when you talk about teammate, obviously you got the alpha. Every team's got the alpha, um, no matter what the sport. And obviously it's Michael Jordan, and he could back it up with his stats. And I think he also had a supporting cast. I was kind of looking for an alpha. Like I said, with the NBA, they had that respect for him. And I, I think that Phil Jackson is a huge part of kind of potentially keeping uh, Jordan's ego in check and kind of refining his competitiveness to help out his teammates. Um, I, I, I mean, I think if you, give, if you give Jordan a coach that doesn't demand as much respect, it doesn't have as much... Um, of a gentle control over the the team, I don't think that his style of leadership is accepted as well. And I think you kind of see that with something they didn't talk about in the documentary, which the Washington Wizards years, when he was hated by his teammates. I mean, Rip Hamilton uh, went on, uh, I think it was with um, uh, Chris Broussard, was saying that um, the players were sick of him. Uh, they really weren't enjoying playing with the great Michael Jordan, most of the uh, who most of them grew up idolizing. Uh, and I think that I think that's one thing where you, when you get a ten part documentary where they never say a bad thing about you. Um, well, that's not necessary. I, I I do think you know they they did go to some of the controversial areas in his life, and it's not really like the Wizards documentary. So I'll give you a little pushback. I'm not disagreeing with your point. Because like yeah, I do I mean, think the yeah, effect I mean, wore off when they weren't winning. Job in the documentary, but I just think it's easy to say it's easy to see um, that he was like this great teammate when his when his leadership worked when at points it didn't work. Um, and I think LeBron is just the type of guy um, you see with these teammates where on and off the court. Well, I mean, not even talking about like how nice he was. I think he just elevates his teammates to a level that they just aren't really suited for. I mean, you talk about a lot of the teammates he had. A lot of guys went to the finals, and a lot of guys got a ring that I don't think potentially, and you could say that by any any role player, but I think when you look at these guys, these guys were not championship caliber yeah. teammates. I think a lot of the 96, 97 Bulls, where they, they did fit that role, where these guys did have it. Um, I think I'm going with LeBron. Uh, he just elevates the floor so much better than Michael Jordan, in my opinion. And yeah, it, when you look, he's much more of a willing passer too. So you're gonna get a little yeah. bit more shots with LeBron. And he's looking for the pass too. I mean, he's a, mm-hmm. he's a pass first player who still averages twenty something a game. And Horace Grant, and yeah, no, and Horace Grant was even saying that like there was instances where he'd be on the plane after having a bad game, and Michael would tell the flight attendant like, "Hey, don't give him any food. He doesn't deserve it," and stuff like that. Where and he, you know, yeah. teammates come in and he's bullying you and testing you to see if he can trust you as a teammate. Um, and the which was you know it worked well in the nineties, um, and I think he did. I think he did elevate a lot of these guys that like weren't because like Steve Kerr is no like world beater. I mean they, you know he's a solid role player, but it's not like you know a lot of these guys aren't winning a championship without Mike. He's, so he's elevating his teammates, but then when he couldn't do it anymore with the Wizards, and he's still using the same mentality of like bullying them and all this, you know, like you said, is that kind of worth in? And it didn't really work anymore because they're not winning. Yeah. And I think another example of that is, like, I mean, you got to be... You, you, the Bulls are lucky that Scott Burrell is such a nice guy, mm-hmm. you know? 
because he didn't treat him well at all. <laughs> and like, and I think, you know, we talked about it last time. I think a lot of other players would just say, I'm not having that. Like, I don't care how good you are. I don't care how bad I am. You're not going to come out here and disrespect me day in, day out on the practice board. Funny line with Scott Burrell, one of my favorite from the documentary is before that game seven. And you kind of see throughout the series, like the, you know, the, that locker room and training room, his little office there is always like kind of loose. You know, he's messing around with security and all that, yeah. giving guys tickets. And where it's like really tense. And they're talking with Ahmad Rashad. Uh, and he's like, you know, game seven, you know, some do and some don't. And he's like, yeah, don't sell Scott Burrell with that. You'll scare the shit out of him, which I thought was like, <laughs> that was a great line, but, um, yeah, I agree. And it's actually worth noting, too, before the documentary came out, because they're, they're pretty good friends today. They golf almost oh, at least once a year, uh, him and Scott. But they were asking, you know, why Michael Jordan, why he didn't want to release the footage. And he was telling the director, Jason Ayer, um, there was this guy, Scott Burrell, in the 98 season. And like they'd never heard of him. And obviously, we played a big part in this. And he's like, and I bullied him mercilessly. Like, not bullied, I don't think he said. But I pushed him mercil- like relentlessly throughout the year. And people won't understand and they'll misinterpret it. And I think, you know, that's kind of one of the things. That's why you saw such a big focal point on him this year. And I think why Michael Jordan was worried. Like, hey, when this comes out, I might not look like the nicest guy. Anyway, I digress. I th- we're both going with Jordan or uh, LeBron as a teammate. Um, we'll go uh, next. Another tough one. Off the court impact, and this one also kind of it, it, it kind of depends how you define off the court impact. And first, a shout out to LeBron James for putting on that uh, graduation thing for the 2020 yeah. seniors. I thought that was a really great gesture. He had some big names there. Um, his words at the beginning uh, of the night uh, were really uh, really good. He was really well spoken. Tonight we are celebrating the class of 2020. Every family in America experiencing the critical role our schools and charities play in our lives and what happens when they shut down. In our poorest neighborhoods, schools are about much more than learning. In places like Akron, Ohio, schools are the most essential service. It may be the only place to support you, the only place to protect you, and for many, the only place to feed you. Our schools are our safety net. Our people build our communities. To the class of 2020, as you celebrate tonight, do not forget your safety net. Every teacher, every coach, every pastor, they along with your friends and family got you to this moment. And now it is time to go to a new place. It is time to chase every dream, accept every challenge, strive for greatness, honor every promise, and recommit to your community. I know that's the last thing you want to think about right now in the place you've been sitting in for the last two months. Really, I mean, the last 18 years for you guys. But it's the truth. The community needs you. And when I say to the community, I mean your rec league, your church, your youth group, and most of all, your school. They need you. Most importantly, building your community is how you change the world. Unfortunately, the system does not solve the real problem. Education, violence, racism, they must be solved in the street. Class of 2020, I know the last thing you want to hear right now is stay home. That's not my message to you. My message is stay close to home. Maybe not physically, but in every other way possible. Pursue every ambition. Go as far as you possibly can dream. And be the first generation to embrace a new responsibility. A responsibility to rebuild your community. Class of 2020, the world has changed. You will determine how we rebuild. 
and I ask that you make your community your priority. Congratulations, class of 2020. I love all of you. And remember one thing, you're all kings and queens. Did a great job there. So kudos to him. So this one was this one was tough for me too. Because initially I was like, oh, it's easy. LeBron James, just look at all the stuff he's done in the past couple years. And then you're kind of thinking, like, well, you know, Michael has the shoe brand. He kind of made globe basketball like global throughout uh, his career. He's a larger than life figure. You know, that's a pretty big off-the-court impact. He go get the guys like Kobe, but I, I swung back. I'm going LeBron because um, something just to say he built the, the school. He uh, has all these great events. He's really outspoken politically. So it all kind of depends on how you define it. And, you know, I'm going some things are bigger than basketball. So I'm yeah. going with LeBron James here. But that one is very tough because that's another one that can go easy way depending on how you define off-the-court impact. Because obviously – you know, Jordan's like an icon unlike any we've ever seen. He'd walk into a restaurant and it would stop. The chef would come out to go get a little glimpse at him. So, yeah. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, I think in this conversation, I agree with you. Kind of depends what you're looking at. And I want to be clear. I think uh, when it comes to off the court impact, I think uh, Michael Jordan walks so LeBron can run uh, kind of deal. Um, because I think Michael Jordan was really the first. I mean, you talk about you got Larry Bird. You got Magic Johnson, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um, like these greats who won a lot of rings. But they they didn't have that superstar um, aura everywhere that Michael Jordan did. And I think it was the first, like, I think he's the first true superstar um, NBA player and perhaps one of the first superstar athletes for America um, and for the rest of the world. I mean, you talk about the dream team, you couldn't go... Jordan couldn't go anywhere without getting mobbed. He had these other guys, obviously, like, you know, people people love uh, Chuck, Charles Barkley and John Stockton and stuff like that. But, like, it, who are you here for? It's Michael Jordan. Um, and I think that's kind of, he pioneered that way. I think LeBron James pioneered the whole more than an athlete uh, type thing where, you know, yes, he's famous, and yes, he's famous in a sport. But, you know, this guy has a lot of, he does a lot of things, like you said, the school, the graduation thing, he has a lot of opinions um, and insights about um, a lot more than just what he does on the basketball floor. I mean, I know his, uh, LeBron and Clutch Me, are, I believe they're doing a, a documentary about the Astros cheating. Uh, I saw today, even on Twitter, um, that they're going to try and, he's going to produce a basketball movie starring Adam Sandler, I believe it was, um, in the next coming years. And so I think, like, you know, I, I'm going with LeBron, but I think, uh, you know, Jordan kind of pioneered this way just to be, like, a famous person in general, regardless, just because, not just because you're a basketball player, but you're just, like, an icon. And LeBron took it to the next level. You could do more than just basketball. So, yeah. Also with LeBron, too, if you're going to look at just basketball, he kind of ushered in the player empowerment and mobility area era, um, you know, Jordan made it global and LeBron made it mobile. You see players for better or worse hopping from team to team, you know, uh, and they're not really controlled by ownership anymore. You know, they're not calling the shots. And that was kind of due to LeBron's jumping ship from uh, Cleveland uh, and then coming back. So uh, let's go in next one. Well, the final two categories here, uh, we have team success. This one's easy for me. Um, and not to, you know, I, you got to go the Bulls, 6-0, and six titles in eight years. Uh, he took an organization that was called the Traveling Cocaine Circus and made him relevant. Um, 
and then he left on top there. So I, I'm going um, Michael Jordan for team success. And, you know, it's yeah. not to say, like we said at the top, it's not to say that LeBron's team hasn't been successful, but, you know, um, they've had, he's had some bad looks where Michael's playing through a flu game. And then uh, Jordan has the cramps, and he's leaving in the Mavericks. Because I think he gets a lot, a little bit too much flack in that series. But uh, if you're going team success, the 6-0 and does not lie there. So I'm going yeah. I'm going MJ. Yeah, this is this is an interesting one that they included in their ESPN thing because I think if you're if you were if I had to write a thesis paper for like one of the other being the great, um, I think honestly the team success part kind of um, is is well Jordan obviously is about team success and he won six rings. I think that would kind of go against his individual greatest of all time argument, um, just because I mean LeBron's I mean besides the Heat, which obviously he's got Dwayne Wade. And he's got Chris Bosh. Um, played with him for four years, and the rest of his tenure, I mean, he's got Kyrie Irving and a bunch of not so great basketball players. And then Kevin Love, um, don't shortchange Kevin. The Heat, hmm? don't shortchange Kevin Love. That, yeah, that's true. Kevin Love, you know, love, love, love the white guys. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I mean, I think that's one thing where, like, I mean, of course you're gonna win, you know, the championships when you got perhaps the greatest. What do people assume the greatest team of, of all time? Um, but yeah, I think it's a pretty easy one, and that's just where I. And I was, I was a little perplexed. Well, here's here's why I think it was a big thing in this because in basketball, unlike any other sport, like you look at Mike Trout, you can't go team success for like the goat conversation because you got nine position players and all these bullpen players. Same with football, you have all these guys. Where basketball, you only have five guys on the floor, so generally the player with the, the team with the best player is gonna win, and you have such a more of an impact than all these other ones. So I think it was a fair category, and you know, '96 Bulls I think was one of the greatest teams of all time. But you know what? Who the best player on that best team was? It was Michael Jordan. So you got to give him credit yeah. there. And I think Kyrie Irving and Dwayne Wade, um, or you know, even Kevin Love, you, you got on the list. Who their third guy was Robin? Obviously, excellent defender and all that, but he he wasn't great on the offensive end. Um, you know, so it's not like he was playing with a ton of studs throughout his career. Obviously, very solid players, but if you're looking more skilled and talent, I think. And even now with Anthony Davis, I think uh, Jordan's played with more talent. Um, maybe not the same amount of depth, but he's played with more talent over his uh, career. Wait, you, say, than, you think LeBron has played with more talent? Yeah, I think LeBron's played with a little bit more yeah. talent over over the course I of mean, his career. Um, I, I mean, I think you can pick one or two players, but I think like a kind of coach is a big, is a big thing. I mean, the dude one was, I mean, um, Spolstra for the for the Heat is a great coach. Um, but, I mean, he won, a, he won a ring with Ty Lue, and he went to championships. I mean, I don't even remember the coach uh, before he went to the Heat. Um, and now he's got, oh, I don't even remember his name. Coach Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel. Yeah, Frank Vogel. Which a lot of these um, guys, he's handpicked. Are they great coaches? No, but LeBron kind of wants to be, the, like, he's kind of the coach, per se, on those teams. Like, he's, he's handpicking them. He wants a guy that's, like, you know, just kind of like the babysitter, but he's doing what he wants on these teams, yeah. so I because yeah. Spolstra he wanted Spolstra fired too, and Pat Riley's like, no, we're keeping Spolstra, and he turned out to be a good coach. So, um, yeah, you know, I but yeah, if we're going team success, I think Jordan takes that fairly handily. Um, finally, one of the most important ones: who do you want taking the last shot for your team, otherwise known as a clutch player? Now, yes, I think. And I, I I cannot stand when people say LeBron is not clutch. 
That is such yes. a misconception. He has had more buzzer beaters in the playoffs than Kobe and Jordan combined. So LeBron is a very clutch player, so let's get rid of that notion. But I think you got to go MJ here. You saw at the end of that, game uh, six, we had one of, those, one of the greatest sequences in finals history. Takes the layup, gets a steal on the defensive side, and then hits the shot, and everyone knew who was taking that shot. It was going to be Michael Jordan. Um, he, he had so many instances in his career with just that killer mentality, so confident. There's no thought of him, you know, I'm going to defer the, like, you know, when it came down to the nitty-gritty, he we knew who was taking the last shot, uh, and he delivered so many times, so I have to go MJ with this one. Um. Yeah, I, 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 I totally, totally agree when you say it. I think um, a lot of people say LeBron's not clutch, but like it's just totally untrue, like you said. And also, like, this um, this killer mentality kind of thing that has developed over the years in sports media. And to say that Michael, that LeBron James um, doesn't have it is just objectively false. I believe today is the... I don't know how many years it's been, but it is the anniversary of a young LeBron James scoring 25 straight points to close out. Um, I believe he scored 29 of 30 against the Pistons in the playoff game and, tw- and 25 straight points. Um, well, I think another question, I think you can develop this. Last shot, I'm going Michael Jordan. But I think who would you rather have for the last you know, six to ten minutes in the fourth quarter of a playoff game? I think I might go... LeBron James, um, just his impact. Obviously, obviously, it is. I mean, you, you can pick either one of these guys, and you'd probably be fine. Um, but I think, uh, like you said, that block, um, which was just, I mean, absolutely otherworldly, uh, is something that can go into that conversation. And yeah, no, I agree though. And another thing that people, a lot of people, bring up is like passing to, like, or deferring to another player in crunch time. Um, and, like, oh, Kyrie hit that shot over um, uh, Steph, Steph think, Curry yeah. to, to win game seven. Or, like, you know, some of these guys in the heat, um, Ray Allen hitting that shot um, to go to game seven. And I think, like, I mean, obviously you want to see the guy hitting the buzzer beater. But, I mean, Jordan said it perfectly. They're going to double team me. The smart basketball move is passing to Steve Kerr. And yeah. you just got to trust him. You just got to trust your teammates. And I think that's uh, that's a that's a conversation that's just not even needed to be had um, when it comes to comparing these guys. One of the differences, though, too, I think there's times where LeBron has the shot. Like, he can take it. Where he'll defer. Where you look at that Steve Kerr, the, when he hits that shot, Stockton coming over, he's double-teamed. Like, that he, that would have just been forcing a shot where he made, like, you know, he hits the guy that's wide open. Same with Paxton. No one was covering him. Where you yeah. see times with George, or LeBron with the Corver shot, you know, he's driving. He has a chance to take that shot there. Or even with George Hill and when uh, he, he got sent to the free throw line. Well, it was a great pass, but, you know, do you want the game in George Hill's hand or yours? You're up at the top with one-on-one, you know, they take it to the rack. And so that's why, you know, I think with just the killer instinct, I think it's, it's Jordan – uh, you know, I, I, who, I don't have anyone in the NBA, not just even LeBron. I mean, there's no one else like you'd want in NBA history, I think, in that fourth quarter than Michael Jordan. Um, you know, I think, you know, you listen to some of these morons debate on TV. I think we we did this very logically. Yeah. It was pretty yeah. well thought out. I agree. 
No. And I think, you know, to close out this segment, I think, um, you know, and we're going to talk about sports coming back, um, and we're going to get to see LeBron play in year 17. Um, and I think, like, I don't know, it, it's it, it's really, and I used to, I'm not going to lie, I used to hate LeBron because I was kind of a, I mean, I don't really have an NBA team that I, I root for, but I obviously root for um, the Chicago Bulls on the head. Um, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler, Derrick Rose, Luol Deng, the, the glory days. Of Taj, the Taj Gibson. When they, when they made the playoffs. Joaquin uh, Noah. Joaquin? Um, I, I used to hate LeBron, and after watching this documentary, I'm like, dang, I get to see a top two, perhaps one or two, because I think, I think it's, I think it's, I will say, I think it's safe to assume that Michael Jordan and LeBron James are the best two players to ever play the game of basketball. Yeah. Um, and I think any of those morons who put up like ninth are just, they, they got an agenda. That's just being Regardless, I mean, I feel like I'm so blessed to like watch the, one of the, one of the greats do it, you know? Um, and I think to, there's a lot of people who just, you know, they want to just trash LeBron James because, uh, you know, they like Michael Jordan or you want to, I don't know. It'll just be very nice to see when this documentary about LeBron comes out. Um, I would say I watched those games. Because yeah, we never. I never got to see Kobe play. I only got to see him towards the end of his career. And that, and that was, was kind of what he was like. Yeah, when the dog years of his career. No, I, I agree. This is another interesting thought to leave everybody on. Um, and you know, we're talking about obviously LeBron James's career isn't over, so his legacy isn't finished. If he wins a title with the Lakers, which is why I really hope the season comes back so we can see kind of that, that Clippers-Lakers series. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But if he wins one with the Lakers, he'd be one of the few guys in the NBA to ever say he won it with three different teams. And, you know, everyone's kind of like prisoner of the moment. You know, when LeBron had got it, the uh, Cavs to the eighth straight final, everyone, you know, came out of the woodwork. Oh, he's the greatest of all time, you know. And after this documentary... You know, a lot of people coming out like, oh, hey, Jordan's the greatest of all time. So I think it'll reopen the, the discussion, yeah. intensified, if he can win with the Lakers. But, um, you know, as of right now, uh, you know, I, I, well, the debate's never going to end. It depends yeah. on generation. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. I, after the last dance, if there's anything I got away, you know, it's a greater appreciation for yeah. Michael Jordan and those 90s Bulls teams and everything they had to overcome. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe in maybe in fifteen years we'll have the the, the Fox Sports of the world debating who is better, Zion Williamson or LeBron James. Yeah, and it'll be this whole mess, and you know whatever. But you, I know you were talking about the Lakers coming back, and we were talking a little bit about you know sports sports coming back. And I know we talked about the baseball thing last time, but I have a, a quick, 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 quick tiny rant um, because this Sunday I watch. My favorite soccer team, Bayern Munich, beat Union Berlin 2-0. The Bundesliga is back, baby. Um, and so I was very excited to watch some live sports. And, uh, you know, it was it was super weird to see. I mean, you can look it up. I mean, the guys on the bench, they're six feet apart wearing masks. And, you know, for the post-game talk, the microphone's like 15 feet long so that the reporter doesn't have to be close to the player. They can, like, social distance. It was just a very odd sight to see. But it was very, you know, I got to see guys playing sports. And I didn't know what was going to happen at the end. Um, and I think just to revisit this whole baseball thing, we talked about uh, Blake Snell and some of these baseball guys talking about uh, the pay cut that they're going to have to face and to continue to play. And I think a point that we missed is that if baseball does not 
is unable to come back, there is a good chance they fall by the wayside if basketball starts up, finishes in the fall, and then we have football starting up. Baseball can be quickly just forgotten in a year where nothing ever happened. And I think to see the squabble over money is a horrible look. And I think I was revisiting this because back on March 25th, so this is this is pretty early on in the coronavirus uh, timeline. Um, almost a month and a half ago, the both a lot of Bundesliga clubs took a twenty percent pay cut, and that was just one of the first pay cuts they took. Now a lot of the clubs are saying, you know, we're not going to have fans; we're losing that revenue, so we're going to have to take additional pay cut. That was just to pay player that pay people in the organizations that were the players. You know, all these staffers that Bayern Munich and. Bruce New Dortmund employed, they got to get a paycheck. So the, the, the players say, you know, we'll take a less of a pay cut so we can pay these other guys. And just to see these millionaires squabble over money just to play ba- baseball when everyone's out of, we got, I mean, 16 million people out of jobs is a horrible look. And if baseball can't get it done, it'll be a huge mar on the sports uh, history, in my opinion. I don't disagree. And, you know, baseball is a big opportunity here. If he can come back and be one of these, and I think all these sports are kind of racing to come back. Um, but if baseball can come back and they're one of the first sports back, how how good that would be for the game and how popular that would make it and, you know, kind of make a comeback and be relevant again. Because you see a lot of these talk shows, they're dying for content to talk about. I saw this morning Undisputed had a segment, and they always have done segments, but were the Pacers a legitimate threat to the Bulls? Uh, in 1998, it's like, well, they took them to seven games. Of course they are a threat. What are you even debating there? Like, So, uh, you know, if baseball's on, all of a sudden, there's some talking points for people to talk about, and they're getting a ton of attention, which would be great for the game. And like you said, the optics of it, and we kind of touched on this last week, are not great. It's squabbling over money when people are losing family members and getting laid off. And obviously, I support the players' right to bargain for their salaries, you know. Um, yeah. they, they, they should be able, it would be BS if they got the half their paycheck, uh, cut for this year and the owners are still making what they're making. So, you know, I, but yeah. they, they gotta figure it out. They, you know, they need, they need to return. It would be, it would be a benefit for them. And I think everyone else in, in, in the sports world, they need something like we, we spent, Five weeks, discuss- and it was a phenomenal documentary, but like, yeah. we're discussing something that happened in the 90s, and you know what, after the Pistons, like, they didn't shake the Bulls' hands in that series, it was like it just happened yesterday because people are craving something to come, like, to talk yeah. about, and content, and, you know, baseball coming back, or any sports in general, is what the people want. Now, I know you're in tune with the soccer world, the Bundesliga came back, fill us in on what's happened so far, and what can we expect for the rest of the season. Also, is this the league that ordered, because I saw there was one league some soccer league that ordered a bunch of sex dolls to fill the stands, which is kind of creepy. That was uh, Seoul FC in South Korea. So, no, that is not the Bundesliga. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of, uh, and it's interesting that this is the first sport back because I think a lot of other sports are going to learn what um, corona, what what uh, competition during coronavirus is going to look like. Um, right now, Bayern Munich is at the top of the table with 58 points, I believe. Uh, Dortmund's right behind him with 54, and then, oh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, I believe, has 51, I want to say, off the top of my memory. But Bayern Munich has got a firm lead. I believe they have nine games left. Um, it'll really be interesting to see because it's kind of gotten to a point where um, for both, for the top three teams, it's 
there's a very, very fine margin of error. Uh, neither of these teams, I mean, even just a draw can prove disastrous in the final um, uh, weeks of the season. But I, I think it, it was it was very interesting to see players who have not practiced with each other in a very long time. Obviously, they're staying in shape and doing individual stuff like that. Because I know, um, I mean, even the team, they can't practice in more than 10. So you have like half the team income one day, the second half team income the other day. And so they're talking about like, these guys haven't done 11 on 11 in like two months. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, basketball has got it lucky because you don't need a ton of people in the building uh, to, you know, field a team. Um, and the, you know, these sports, the basketball and soccer can pick up right where they left off. Whereas baseball, I mean, that's tough to start up after not practicing with each other, um, and having a short spring training. But yes, it is, uh, it is good to have sports back. 100%. All right. That is all we have for you. Uh, for everyone that is listening, thank you. We really appreciate it. Uh, you know, hopefully we're providing you some way to pass the time during the quarantine. But, you know, um, glad we had some interesting content to discuss these past couple weeks. Yeah, thank you so I, much for well, listening. You know, well, now that the last dance is done, um, we'll, be, we'll be also looking for content. So I'll just put that out there when it comes to the uh, scope of the length of our podcast and such. Yes, any suggestions or ideas, please send them our way. All right, I'm getting kicked out of the bedroom. My brother is coming in. Say hi to the people, Danny. Yo, what's up, guys? All right, that's all we got for you. (laughs) Have a wonderful... We'll see you next time.